This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams. And today on the show, we are going to talk about chickens. We're going to talk a lot about chickens And it's super exciting because this is actually, I'm 99% certain, the first guest we've had on the show that is a chicken farmer. So this is a whole brand new industry that we're going to learn about. And I've got to be honest, during the whole process of scheduling, interviewing, and then, you know, uploading and producing the podcast, I have had that meme stuck in my head where that little girl goes, look at all those chickens. And they're, they're white ducks. So... I've had that stuck in the back of my mind the whole time, and now you do too. (laughs) I was going to try to find the audio, but I never could. But yeah, so today we're going to learn about chicken farming from a guy named Peter from Canada. And so we're going to learn today about the whole process of what chicken farming looks like, a day in the life of them, um, of both the chickens also, and of the chicken farmers. And when it comes to chickens, I feel like I'm saying chickens a lot. I mean, it is a episode on chickens, but we're going to talk a lot about chickens. <laughs> but um, um, So poultry, how about that? Um, are There's two main types um, in terms of production. You've got your egg-laying birds, which are known as pullets, uh, or P-U-L-L-E-T, um, and that is what Pete and his family raise. And then you also have your broiler birds, which are your meat-type birds. So there's two totally different... Um, types of chickens there. Um, Your broiler birds are going to be bigger because the meat is going to be bigger on their bodies. And then your pullets or your egg laying birds are going to be more focused on good reproduction genetics. So, so yeah, we're going to learn about that. Pete is also going to tell us the whole shebang about chickens and antibiotics, growth hormones, vaccines, all of that stuff that people kind of freak out about. And also what technically does a free range chicken have to be to be free range like i know a lot of people think that the chickens live outside 24 7 
they do not. And also something which I think a lot of people get, um, they get a lot of misinformation about, and that is growth hormones in chickens. Um, Peter is going to explain it, whether or not it's legal. Um, a little bit of foreshadowing, it is not legal, and you will find out why. Um, so yeah, I, this was so cool. We talked about eggs, we talked about chickens, as you might have already been able to figure out. Uh, and also, kind of some stuff he does on the side, like he does some drone photography, which are really cool, of some of his neighbors growing row crops, so that's really cool. And then he does um, a whole bunch of other stuff on the side. As he said, he is a self-described chicken farmer, tractor driver, and ag fanboy. So anybody that is a fanboy of ag, I am happy to chat with. So um, go check out Peter. All the links for his social media channels, he's super active on Instagram, will be in the description of this episode. So I hope you enjoy it. So I had a blast talking with Peter. Hope you have a blast listening to it. And again, this is episode 124. Thanks for listening and enjoy it. All right. Well, Peter, a Canadian, a Canadian farmer. How are you doing, man? Welcome to the podcast. I'm good. How are you, Trevor? I'm doing good, man. I'm excited to chat with you. I found your page on Instagram, I think a couple weeks ago, and I like your sarcasm. I like the info on there. I also really like the drone shots you've been doing lately. So, I mean, it oh, seems thanks. like you're kind of a jack of all trade. <laughs> I'm just trying to get my foot in the door, I guess, making my mark in the uh, the eggs to farmer uh, world that we all live in now. So <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of your background. I know you're a, you're a chicken farmer, you grow, or you got some crops and some row crops you grow up there in Canada. So tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how you got to where you are now. Uh, it's a bit of a long story. Uh, I've kind of grew up in this, uh, small farming community. Uh, the community itself is far is small, but there's a lot of intensified agriculture in the area. Uh, we've got lots of uh, grain farms, lots of feedlots, uh, chicken farms of various kinds. There's some dairy and pigs. Um, so I've always kind of been in and around agriculture my whole life. Um, then I actually, my dad was a manager of a few farms when I was a kid, so I got involved then. And then I went and got my electrician ticket, uh, my journeyman ticket, and we did a lot of ag stuff in the area. So supporting those feedlots and those dairies and things. And then... Uh, after I got married, my father-in-law offered me a position here on on the family farm, uh, which I which I jumped at because I've always wanted to be involved as a farmer in some way. But it's a little bit trickier in today's world for a a guy that's not connected to the industry to get into the mm -hmm. industry. So I uh, I jumped at that chance, and uh, within a few years, I I took over managing the farm here day to day. And uh, actually, this year uh, we're starting to do the whole uh, succession planning, starting to do the the transfer of of responsibilities and and all that stuff so yeah it's, it's been good i i really i enjoy it uh we we live here on the farm so i get to have lunch at home with my kids every day and and yeah it's just it's a good time that's awesome yeah i've learned more and more people kind of marry into it um whether i mean they had no background in agriculture or maybe maybe they married somebody else and they just got into it um, I mean, that's crazy. And that's such a good point. Like if you don't, if you're removed from agriculture and you want to get into it, usually if you got to start a farm, you got to have a lot of money because farming is not cheap from what I've no, learned yeah. over the years. Absolutely. The input costs are, are astronomical. Uh, like, especially, I mean, like every, every discipline of farming is a little bit different, but we all have our, our expensive points as well as, uh, where we can save a little bit of money compared to the other guys, like grain farming, uh, obviously, 
tractors and combines and tillage equipment and everything is, is very expensive. Um, but you can also, you can juggle that a little bit. Like you don't necessarily need the biggest and the best if you've got a small land base, right? So that's kind of something that everybody's mm -hmm. got to pay attention to. Like our, our biggest input here on our farm would definitely be uh, chicken feed, um, which, you know, like uh, a grain farmer doesn't have to pay for chicken feed. So we all kind of have our, our give and take, but it's, it's definitely something you either need to be incredibly lucky and blessed or very financially stable to get into for sure. Oh, I can imagine. So we, like I was telling you earlier, we've never interviewed a chicken farmer and I know there's so much information with chickens. And so tell us a little bit about that. Like, do you got, do y'all grow, um, are they egg laying hens or broiler birds? What's kind of the background there? Yeah. So, um, what we do here on our farm specifically is we raise what's called a pullet. Uh, so we raise pullets for the egg farmers of Alberta. Uh, so we take day old chicks and we raise them all the way through their ugly teen phase, all the way into their young adolescent phase and straight into uh when they're laying hens and once they become laying hens we uh we ship them off to various commercial egg farms across alberta and uh, also saskatchewan and uh yeah from there they they lay eggs that you would find in the grocery store or in restaurants uh commercial baking that sort of thing so we are we're, we're essentially a, a chicken nanny um we're a very small piece of a chicken very large nanny. puzzle <laughs> But uh, we, we don't do any, any meat birds or anything like that. We just do pullets uh, for the egg laying industry here on this farm. So how long are they typically there on your farm? Uh, so it's a 19 week uh, raise cycle. So uh, up, until, up until 20 weeks of age, uh, they're classified as a pullet. And then after 20 weeks of age, they're classified as a hen. And in Canada, we have, uh, we have supply management. We have a quota system. Um, and so basically what the quota system means is you have to own the right to that laying hen after 20 weeks of age. Up until 20 weeks of age, there's no quota. But the government's uh, really trying to, you know, control the supply and the demand of eggs. And so they don't want just anybody having uh, free access to a, a bunch of chickens. You can have you can have up to 300 chickens uh, without quota. Uh, but after that, after that 20 week age, you should legally have to own all the quota for those birds okay gotcha yeah the more i've looked into it i mean chicken farming just seems so confusing because i know here in the u.s if you're raising broiler birds for tyson for example you don't yeah. own those chickens they're on loan from tyson but you're responsible for them so tyson still owns the chickens and you're just taking care of them so i mean it makes sense but it's a little bit confusing if you're just kind of like learning from it but it does make sense yeah it's a similar idea here for the broiler guys as well uh, so here the big uh the big companies would be Lilydale and Maple Leaf. Um, and okay. Maple Leaf and Lilydale, they both they both have farms that are under contract with them. They don't own the birds. The farmer owns the birds, but they still have to try to meet those contract requirements uh, with Lilydale or Maple Leaf. Or very similar to how it is in the states, there's uh, massive repercussions if you fail to meet those uh, those contract requirements, right? So, yeah, yeah, I gotcha. That makes sense. So I know, I know here in the U.S., when it comes to chickens, people are always curious about antibiotics, growth hormones, all that stuff. So how is that in, in Canada? Are a lot of consumers kind of worried that as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of our consumer fears and worries are, are very similar to what you have in, in the U.S. Um, because of our, our markets and our needs and everything are so very similar, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, up here for sure, like uh, antibiotics and, and hormones, that's, uh, that's definitely a hot button issue that uh, it's just right up there with organic, right? And these are, 
these are things that um, the marketing agencies and whatever are, are really pushing uh, to try to set their products apart. Um, but just like all meat in Canada, uh, it can't legally be sold uh, with antibiotics in, in the system. Um, so like, for example, in, in the poultry industry, if regardless if you're um, meat birds or egg layers, whatever you are, um, we legally can't use class one antibiotics. And if mm -hmm. for some reason we have to use antibiotics, uh, which we haven't had to actually on our farm for, I don't, I think ever, but if we had to, there is a certain amount of withdrawal time before that chicken can be moved off to the next farm. And then at the laying facility, same thing. If, if for some reason something went weird and they needed to use an antibiotic, there would be no eggs uh, sold uh, off of that farm for whatever the withdrawal period is for that antibiotic. Um, and then as far as hormones, or, sorry, hormones are concerned, um, all growth hormones have been illegal uh, in the poultry industry in Canada since 1963, I believe. Um, and that was uh, obviously mm -hmm. to, to address uh, the customer or the, and the consumer um, needs and wants and issues, but also um, chickens don't respond well to growth hormones. Uh, there's, uh, it, there's been recorded mass mortality. Uh, chicken just doesn't accept additional hormones into their system at all. So it's, it's, it's really a non-issue. It's something that became illegal almost as much for animal welfare as it did for consumer welfare. Uh, mm. So up here, um, like, uh, I believe you guys have A&W in the States, right? The restaurant chain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so up here, um, they like to advertise uh, that they're that they using chickens that are that are hormone free, which is technically true. But so is everybody else, because it is illegal to have hormones in your chicken, in your egg or in your meat. So those are both things that are a non-issue, um, but definitely something that gets kind of thrown around in the grocery store. But our, our biggest concern uh, with our industry is um, free range, free run, and cage raise. Uh, those those words really spark a lot of uh, debate and kind of conflict between the consumer and the producer. Um, so that's kind of more what we're fighting with, and and also like organic. I mean, everybody likes to put the words organic and gluten free and stuff on their food, and it can be true, it can be not true. A lot of people might not know the difference. It, it's just one of those things that I think every farmer around the globe is trying to is trying to battle this misinformation, right? So. Oh yeah, I bet. Yeah, uh, that growth hormone thing. Anytime I go shopping, I always like to check out the labels. And anything of chicken, whether it's cooked or raw, and you, you take home and cook it, obviously, it says, "Oh, raised without antibiotics." And in very small, um, uh, very small font on the on the package, it says. Uh, use of antibiotics has been illegal since the 1960s in the U.S. I'm like, yeah, so every chicken you have is going to be growth hormone free. Like, come on now. But yeah, I mean, it's just all about yeah. that marketing, making the chickens look better than they are, when in reality, all the chickens are going to be the same. Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, that's also kind of the benefit um, of the quota system that we have. So what we have is each province has a, a committee or a board of directors um, that kind of monitors the eggs and the meat birds in their province. And then they all respond to a federal uh, board or committee at the, that takes care of just the same thing, but for the whole country. And so across mm -hmm. Canada, we have the exact same uh, standards of raise and health for the birds and conditions in the barn as any other province. So across the board, we're all, we all have to meet up to the same criteria. Um, and that way they can control a, a little bit how it's marketed, but also just 
to make sure that that quality assessment is there, that no chicken or no egg is technically better than the next. Um, so even if you were to right, go to the I store like and buy... So... No, you're good. Go ahead. Yeah so, yeah, so if you were to go to the store and buy like a, a flat of eggs that came from a free-range farm and a flat of eggs that came from a conventional cage farm, the the standards of living and the code of practice and the paperwork and you know everything that went into those chickens is like exactly the same the only difference at that point is how the chicken lived its life in the barn uh so we can at least get rid of some of these uh these fear or some of this misinformation regarding at least living conditions and then it just boils down to what people want to support right so that is a nice thing about the quota system um it does leave it opening a little bit more to marketing um, at like the grading station for the eggs or something like that. But as far as what leaves these farms, they're all identical across the board. Hmm. I like that. So talking about free range, um, whenever a person removed from agriculture, whenever they think about free range, they probably are just thinking about chickens in the field, running around, living life. But I mean, it's probably not, not what's going to happen. So what exactly does kind of your ideal free range chicken farm look like? So to be a free range chicken farm, all that needs to be done to meet that requirement is that the chicken has the choice to either leave the barn or to stay in the barn. So at a free range egg facility or pullet facility, um, what they will do is they'll have doors cut into the side of the barn that automatically open and close at certain times of the day. Um, that way the chicken can choose to go outside and there'll be like a nice big fenced off area, try to keep some predators out and everything like that. Um, but what, what it boils down to is it just gives the hen that choice and nine times out of 10, the hen decides to stay in the barn. <laughs> <laughs> it's too hot I'm outside. Gonna, I'm going to stay in the barn. <laughs> exactly. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. Like up here in Alberta, it gets very, very cold in the wintertime. So no chicken's going to choose to go outside, right? But they still have to be given the choice to be, to be allowed to be outside if they want. They're, so they're going to stay inside where their food and their water is. Um, the barns are set up with with nice places for them to to roost and to perch, and there's there's nice little nesting boxes for them to go and sit in. Like it's it's not like it's a camp or a prison or anything inside. Like it is a nice facility. Um, that so that's basically all that needs to be done for free range. But free range does bring its own um, issues into the raise uh, raising of those chickens or even the management of those chickens. You have to worry about disease a lot more, uh, mm -hmm. predators, of course. Uh, you ought to worry about uh, the chickens uh, crowding themselves. Uh, so like if there's a thunderstorm, for example, or uh, a big windstorm, if there's any sort of like loud, sudden noise, the chickens could spook and they could all kind of huddle in a corner and that can cause all sorts of problems from suffocation to overheating. So it's, it's not like it's uh, yeah, heaven on earth for these chickens to live in free range either. It just has its own benefits and its own cons, just like anything else. Now, are there any like stipulations to where maybe you get like a neon sign over the little door? You're like, hey, chickens, go outside, go have some fun. Are there any kind of government stipulations there? Uh, no, I think the, the only re uh, stipulation they have to have is they just have to have a nice, paved, easy to maintain road to get in and out of the door. No, it's uh, it's more just, uh, I believe <laughs> it's a, the door has to open, uh, I believe, like kind of in the morning when, when the sun comes up and then it's supposed to close at night when the sun goes down. So it's just basically a dawn till dusk. Uh, they get that choice to be inside or outside. And uh, yeah, ultimately it's up to the hen at that point. So That's awesome. So she's got the choice. Go out, yeah. walk around, or stay with the other girls. Yeah, uh, exactly. 
So you've been covering on your Instagram, I'm checking it out right now, you've been covering a lot lately, kind of like um, the vaccines and stuff you give um, your chickens. And I mean, of course, with COVID, there's been a lot of debate on the comments about vaccines and stuff. And so how important, I mean, are the vaccines and are the medicines that you give your chickens? And also, I mean, how do you do it? Because you're giving it to like hundreds and hundreds of birds. I mean, what's that process like? Yeah, so... Um... First off, the, the vaccine schedule or the vaccine program that we follow is very, very important um, because when you get these chickens in the large flocks, like what we deal with in our barn, as well as what the, uh, the egg layer is going to worry about in their barn, we're talking thousands and thousands of birds in a, in a tight space. It's, it's much like people in a city, right? So mm -hmm. uh, what, we're, what we're worried about is just um, some birds getting infected with a virus that, that maybe was in the barn to start with, or that maybe got brought in by mistake. Um, and we're worried about that virus spreading throughout the flock. Uh, so uh, one of the ones that we, one of the key ones that we vaccinate against is called Newcastle disease and infectious bronchitis virus, which we can get bronchitis. Uh, it's very similar to respiratory illness for us, as well as for chickens. Um, and it, it's highly contagious. And same with Newcastle disease, and they both kind of attack the respiratory system and then the central nervous system of the bird. And, and it just causes a lot of discomfort and, and everything for the hen all the way up to mortality. Um, it can cause paralysis, all sorts of stuff. Um, but then also it can decrease egg production, which ultimately is, is what we want from these chickens is the eggs. So it's kind of a double whammy in that regard. So that's, that's something we vaccinate against. We also vaccinate against, um, it's called AE, avian something. It's a big Latin word, about 26 <laughs> letters long. Um, and it, it's also called the tremor virus. And that one attacks mm. the central nervous system. And it causes, uh, it looks it looks like Parkinson's, basically. It's a lot of shaking, um, some paralysis, and just eventual uh, death. Um, and it's also highly contagious. So these are just things that we that we vaccinate against for the, the welfare of the animal, and then also for the production value of that chicken, uh, because we're trying to meet an egg demand, right? So we can't we can't be losing eggs uh, in the system. Uh, so these are things that we're worried about. And it's basically, it's just, it's just the same thing. So a lot of these barns, um, they have to follow a strict cleaning program. So there's very rarely there's any sort of bacteria left in the barn after a flock leaves. It's more the biosecurity issue of, of if uh, somebody wasn't following protocol and entered a barn and maybe brought in a virus with them uh, and, mm -hmm. and introduced it to that facility. So we're just trying to cover our bases and uh, and just go from there. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, biosecurity is a big one. I had a class at UF, um, and they were talking about, I mean, all the steps you've got to do, especially with livestock. I mean, like um, putting putting on like the big the jumpsuits, hosing off your shoes, cleaning off cars. I mean, biosecurity is a big thing because I mean, whether that's chickens, beef, or pork. I mean, if one animal gets sick, it can spread to hundreds and thousands, and then you're going to be kind of SOL. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and like. A lot of these viruses, they're very, very small bacteria, right? So they can they can live in like the dust in the barn, for example, or they can live in like the nooks and crannies. Mm -hmm. And so even even if you have a flock to get sick and you and you deal with that, there could still be long term ramifications um, if you know you miss the spot while you're cleaning or or something, right? They could they could be it could be living in a in a fan or it could be living you know in the corner of the floor or something. So it's it's definitely not just a short-term issue. It's definitely something that we try to prevent long-term. Um, also, like older barns are built with with different material. You'll see a lot more uh, plywood construction, uh, uh, stuff like that, like like a porous material. And bacteria just loves to live in in that porous wood, right? 
versus concrete. So there's there's give and take to how you build your barn and how you protect it from various diseases and stuff. Oh no, I can imagine. So yeah. so once they once the pullets are kind of sent off to the egg farms, what's kind of their production going to look like? Like how long are they producing eggs? How many eggs are they producing? And all that good stuff. Yeah. So the the production value of the chicken is kind of dependent on the breed. So we we raise I believe it's mm. five different kind of commercial breeds, and each breed has its its give and take. Um, so Canada is a large egg market. So first off, that's something that we look for. Uh, so people want pullets that will become laying hens that will lay a lot more large eggs than medium sized eggs, for example. Um, so these are so these are things that we look for. Um, the producer will keep the chickens for about a year uh, from when we deliver them. So that's uh, 19 weeks plus a year. Um, and in that year, as the chicken grows, so does the egg size. So egg size is very dependent on the size and the age of the chicken. So they're looking for laying hens that will get into large size eggs fast and then mm -hmm. stay there before they get into extra large because they get, they get a certain amount of money for a large egg and less money for medium size eggs or extra large eggs, just depending on what the market's wanting. Um, but yeah, so these, these egg farms, the commercial guys will keep them for about a year. And within a few weeks to a month of us delivering them, the birds will be laying eggs at about 98, 99% production. So like almost an egg a day from every single chicken in the barn. And by the end of the year, if they were managed properly, if there was no illness, uh, good feed, good water, all that sort of stuff, they'll probably still be laying 92, 93% production. But then mm. once you get into that second year, that production really starts to drop off. And so in the, in the commercial industry, they don't want any freeloading hens. They don't want hens just sitting in the barn, eating the food and not producing. Right. So right. after about a year, the, the, the barn gets depopulated. Um, a lot of those birds will get sent off to uh, backyard flocks. That, you know, if, if your neighbor wants three chickens or whatever, they'll, they'll send them where they can. And then they'll get turned into dog food. Um, that sort of stuff, basically after, after about a year. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, because a lot of people think that, I mean, most of those chickens will go for human food, but that's to two totally different chickens. I mean, the chickens we eat are going to be much bigger, much more muscular, but they're not focused on their egg laying, when in these birds are just focused on egg laying, and they're not going to have nearly as much like fat and muscle on them. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like, uh, so like a broiler bird or a meat bird, if you want to call it that. Um, that's about a nine week, an eight or a nine week raising time. And then they're big enough for, for people to eat because they've been, they've been bred. The genetics have been, have been bred and kind of controlled and led towards a very fast gain or weight gaining bird. Whereas with the birds that we deal with, it's, uh, they're, they're going after very different genetics, right? So they want the bird to get enough, enough mass, uh, enough of a, muscular frame to lay a certain size egg very like a healthy chicken like it's not like they're skin and bones like there's definitely some meat there but they're definitely tailored towards a, a lean slimmer bird that's going to just very very healthily lay an egg every day versus something that we want to eat um it's, it's like with dogs like uh, a german shepherd makes a really good police dog but a chihuahua doesn't right but they both have their purpose <laughs> they tell me and so it's, it's very similar like we're they're they're both technically chickens but they're very different animals that makes sense. Have you ever been to a boneless chicken farm? <laughs> yeah, all the, yeah, actually my neighbor all the time we go in and we laugh at the chickens just sitting there in a, a puddle of muscle and fat and they just <laughs> stare at us and 
we stare at them and yeah, it's, it's great. We force feed them a little bit. It's awesome. <laughs> I tell that joke all the time. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of sad. They put their beak in the ground. They pull themselves forward. I told that to somebody, they were like, wait, are you serious? I'm like, no, of course not. <laughs> yeah. We had a, a myth going around a little while ago that, uh, that Canadian meat bird producers were, uh, they were raising chickens that had, uh, they were basically conjoined twins. They had two bodies on one set of legs to try to get as much meat as possible that barn, which is very false. They're not, <laughs> they're not making Frankenstein chickens. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a good thing. So going back to the eggs, I had a, I had an animal science class um, in college and this professor is like this old school, badass country guy, handlebar mustache and everything. And one day we dissected chickens. And he was like, hang on, guys, I'll be in the classroom in a little bit. And he comes inside with a chicken like in between his arms. And he's like literally ripping the head off. And he's like, hey, um, open your notebooks and go to this page. And we're all like, oh, my God, what? And so we dissected the chickens. And I thought it was so fascinating. In the reproductive tract, there were like five or six eggs, I think, like getting created. And they're like small, smaller, bigger, larger. Like they just kept getting bigger and bigger. And I was like, holy cow, because I mean, Obviously, it makes sense, but I just thought it was one one egg at a time. But I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Fun fact. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so even in uh, like the breeder flock, so like there's around here, there's uh, what we call broiler breeders. And so those chicken farms, they're laying eggs and they're getting fertilized. Like they have roosters in the barn. And then those chickens go to get hatched or sorry, those eggs go to get hatched. And then that becomes the meat bird. Um, and so I used to work on one of those farms in high school. And they have, yeah, they were saying there was like three to five eggs in the chicken system at any given time. And so because of that, if an issue happens in the barn, you don't notice it right away. You notice it three to five days later because any sort of immediate change in the chicken's environment will cause it to stop laying for a little while. And it's oh. the same thing with, with, our, with our egg laying industry uh, for, for grocery store eggs. Same thing. If, if there's a, you know, a big power outage or the water system stops working or whatever, they'll notice a dip in production like three to five days later. And then it takes a little while for those chickens to get back in into the program. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. It's kind of like a delayed response. I mean, I mean, that makes sense though. So what is, what has the whole egg um, industry been like during the whole pandemic? I mean, has demand kind of stayed the same or, I mean, what's that whole thing been like over the past like two years? Yeah. So we've, we had uh we've had very like high demand and then also very low demand um, just kind of, based around what the what people were allowed to do or able to do uh so when uh, when at first in alberta when they when they brought it in that everyone was supposed to work from home we saw a massive increase in eggs because everyone went to costco or whatever and they just bought flats and flats and flats of eggs um and so we had this massive increase in demand for a little while and then that demand had to rectify itself because all these people had extra eggs in their fridge um, and so then it, it dipped back down. And so we've kind of been having this wave effect throughout the whole thing because all of a sudden restaurants are allowed to serve people again. And so then they go and they buy a bunch of eggs and then all of a sudden they got to close again. So it's been kind of coming and going. Uh, but for about the last eight months or 10 months, it's been very steadily coming back up to where it was uh, back in 2019. Mm, well, that's good. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I know the pandemic's still going on, but it seems like most farms and most businesses are kind of going back to normal, which is good. I mean, things are kind of leveling off a little bit, at mm -hmm. least for now. I mean, might change in a few months. Yeah, who knows? So yeah. on top of all, yeah, I mean, you never know. So on top of all the chicken stuff, you also do, you do some fertilizer spraying, you do some row crops, and you've also been doing um, kind of these drone shots, which 
I think are really cool. I love drone videos and stuff like that. So, I mean, what was kind of your inspiration behind doing that? Uh, so actually, first off, we don't do any row crops on our farm. I'm just spying on my neighbors with that drone, to be completely honest. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we have a certain amount of land, but it's all rented out at the moment. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we do fertilizer application. Uh, we do a bunch of stuff like that in the spring and the fall. And I just, I was seeing all these other accounts. They had these awesome drone shots of harvest and, and of them working cattle and whatever else. And I was like, that's super cool. I want to do that. And so I, I've been interacting with some other farming accounts, uh, across Canada and the States and just kind of getting ideas and whatever, and made the plunge and went out and bought a drone and started spying on my neighbors. Yeah, I mean, there you go. Are you like getting super close to the cab trying to annoy him or are you just probably trying to keep your distance a little bit? Probably probably a good idea. Yeah, I keep I keep a little bit of distance, but like I, I know them or whatever. So it's not it's not as creepy or whatever. So I'll like I'll pass in front of the window or something and they'll wave at the camera. But for the most part, I try to stay out of their way. There you go. Yeah, I mean, stuff like this is super cool because, I mean, it gets super popular on on um, Instagram, Facebook, wherever, because drone shots are super cool. And so, I mean, and plus it's kind of a cool window. Like people can see how a combine works or how harvesting works and stuff like that. Any, any thoughts on flying it through the chicken, the chicken coops? I mean, maybe it might be a little dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be a little, a little expensive on the drone and it could be uh, a little dangerous for the chickens too. So I think I'll keep it outside. Um, but yeah, like I, the reason I started this whole Instagram account was um, to try to educate my friends and family on, on what it is that I do, because I say that I'm a farmer. Uh, and everyone instant, instantly assumes that I've got tractors and combines, or I say I'm a chicken farmer, and everyone instantly assumes uh, meat birds, right? So I made this account to try to educate people that I know and other people in the in the world on what it takes to actually get an egg from a chicken to their plate, because I feel that that's a, an industry that has a lot of miscommunication and the misinformation. Um, and so I also I'm a huge agricultural fanboy. I, I won't deny it. I fangirl over tractors driving by all the time. It's, just, <laughs> it's what I do. So I figured, hey, you know what? I understand how a grain farm works, but some people in my family and some people uh, that I know in the city, they might not. So I'm going to take some pictures of this combine. And I'm going to explain to them, you know, why stuff comes out the back or or what kind of header picks up a swath or or something like that. Right. It's, it's I'm just trying to educate people about the whole the whole ag community. Uh, as well as really focusing on what what it is that I do day to day. Yeah, heck yeah. I mean, I feel like most of the time social media gets kind of a bad rap um, and sometimes rightly so, but it's been such a great tool for like farmers like yourself that can show exactly what they're doing. I mean, you can reach like a huge audience and they can see exactly how um, egg laying birds are made or, or grown, how row crops are grown, stuff like that. So, I mean, it's a pretty good tool usually. Yeah, absolutely. Time, which is awesome. Thanks. I'm learning tons of stuff about various ag disciplines that I don't know a lot about, like potato farming, for example, or corn. Mm. Like we don't have a lot of corn uh, in Alberta. A lot of our chicken feed and everything is uh, wheat based and not corn based like it is in the States. And so I'm learning a lot about uh, corn farms and uh, cotton farms in Texas, for example, or all of the orchards and veggie farms along the Mexico border. Like, you know, just stuff that we we eat and consume every day, but we don't have a lot of it up here in Canada because of our climate. So I'm getting to learn stuff from them and I'm getting to uh, tell farmers down there how we do it up here and also uh, the people that just have no idea, right? There's a there's a big disconnect between the consumer in uh, the rural and urban settings as well as the, the farmers and the packagers and everybody making that food. So I feel that we can all learn from each other and also try to bridge that gap a little bit between 
grocery store and farm. I like that. Keywords there, bridging the gap. I love it. Uh, what what are kind of some lesser known commodities that you guys grow in Canada? I mean, I just kind of think of like, I mean, really, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess a typical person just thinks like, you know, maple syrup. And I mean, that's pretty much it. But I mean, there's a lot more to Canada than that. So what are some kind of lesser known commodities? Uh, so we have a, a big lumber industry. Actually, a lot of uh, the lumber that you get in California and places in southern states comes from Canada. Um, especially after the wildfires they had in California, a lot of our lumber got diverted down there. Um, we have a huge cattle industry uh, in rural Alberta and Saskatchewan. Um, anything that's not, you know, able to be tilled and, and planted seems to have pasture and, and cows on it. So we have a big, a big cattle industry. Uh, we grow a lot of mustard and canola seed. I don't think you guys have much of that in the state. Oh. Yeah, so actually Canada is the largest producer of mustard in the world is our really? claim to fame yeah so okay. uh we've got that and i think second or third is nepal of all places but yeah that's so that's very different okay yeah that's something we've got um what else do we do a lot of it might not be now is mustard kind of throughout canada or are there certain provinces that kind of grow more than the other yeah so it's it's kind of a little bit certain provinces like uh saskatchewan and alberta um, in that section of the prairies, we do a lot of canola and a lot of mustard and wheat, barley, uh, oats and peas. Um, but once you get over into like Manitoba, especially southern Manitoba, the climate's very similar to the Midwest. Uh, so they grow more mm -hmm. corn and more soybeans over there um, and less wheat, less barley. Um, you get over into BC, for example, and it's, it's a lot more of a tropical climate just because of the proximity to the ocean. Um, okay. And it's very, it's very mountainous. So there's not a lot of of fields there but there's a lot of orchards um there's some intensified agriculture there's you know dairy and and poultry um but as far as it kind of being across the board it's, it's very much like the state's different different areas do different things that's pretty cool yeah i mean here even in florida i mean we're super diverse we're up there in terms of beef production we've got a bunch of row crops corn strawberries stuff like that and then also up here in north florida we've got a lot of timber I mean, really, it's pine trees everywhere. I, I don't know what the numbers are, but I mean, we're one of the higher producing like timber states out there, even though it's only like a third of the state. But, but yeah, I mean, oh, you I never know. It. You never know what countries and states besides you are doing um, in, in terms of bag because it's so diverse. Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and like in this little pocket that I'm in in, in central Alberta, um, like I said, we've got basically all the livestock represented. We've got pigs, we've got chickens, we've got horses, cattle, the whole the whole thing. Um, and actually just recently they started building, um, a bunch of greenhouses in the area too. So we're starting to get into more, uh, veggies and stuff from greenhouses. Um, so like, yeah, just this little, little spot that I'm in within, you know, like a 20 mile radius, it's this little melting pot of, uh, agriculture. It's, it's very cool to watch. Um, and very cool to like, yeah, learn how different stuff is grown. That's cool. So on top of the chicken stuff, it seems like you're pretty well known on Instagram for your shades, which I think are pretty cool. I kind of want to get a pair. So, I mean, you know the ones I'm talking about, the little flipper ones? Yeah, the flippy ones, uh, the, the Ed Rooney ones from uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> yeah, those are good. I haven't seen that movie in forever, but when I saw them, I was like, Ferris Bueller, there we go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those uh, that was the best 20 bucks I've ever spent on Amazon. Absolutely. <laughs> hey heck yeah yeah so my wife and i we've got um we have like a budget that we try to follow and usually we have like spending money each month and the first of the month i always 
get on my Amazon wish list. I'm like, order, order, order. So it's like the third or fourth day of the month. And I'm like, well, I have no more knickknacks to buy. I'm out of my budget. <laughs> but I might have to add some glasses like that to my budget because those look super fun. Yeah, absolutely. I'll find the link and I'll send it to you. I've had a lot of people actually message me and ask for the link. So <laughs> You need to get like an affiliate link going for that. Can you I get should, them absolutely. that like doubles like safety glasses or something? I have a pair of, of safety glasses ones. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> they've got uh, they've got little extra clips on the side that's to like block the side of your eye and yeah they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. I mean shades and safety glasses and style. That's the way to go. Uh, Absolutely, well, Peter. This has been this has been awesome, man. If people want to follow you, you've got an awesome Instagram account. It's just Pete Stick. Uh, where else can they go to kind of follow you and see what you're doing? That's basically it. Um, I'm not sure how people have the time to do TikTok and everything, <laughs> but I I can only manage one account, so I just do Instagram. Hey, there you go. Yeah, I, I've yet to get on TikTok. I don't want to do any dances or anything. I know some people get millions of views, which, oh, yeah. we follow, um, we both follow Ag Aviation Adventures, and I know that they yes. had one, they had one get a million views on TikTok, I think like a few days ago. And it was like a random yeah. one of like Cali making, like mixing pesticides, what it looks like yeah. versus what people think it looks like. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. I That is a great account. Actually, if people want to follow an account, they should follow Ag Aviation Adventures. That is a, there's some seriously cool content on there. Yeah, they do. We had them on, I think like, geez, I think like two years ago. And I've always been fascinated with planes. And so learning from them and how crop dusting works, I was like, oh, this is so cool. And like the light bar and everything and all the videos they do. Yeah, they have a lot of really great co content up there. Yeah. Um, well, Pete, this has been awesome, man. I really appreciate it. We will have to stay in touch and kind of see what you're doing down the road. But thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. And I, I just realized I didn't answer your vaccination question, so I'm sorry. But if you ever have me back, I'll answer it then. Oh, yeah, deal. No, no problem. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I know that's a huge thing. I mean, we can go ahead and talk about that real quick. But I mean, like, yeah, yeah I mean, you chicken, got time. I, oh, we got nothing but time on this podcast. I mean, oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so what are your thoughts there? I know vaccines, chicken vaccines are all getting a lot of crazy traction um so yeah and, and that one you shared got like a lot of comments on it so what are your thoughts on it uh so like, i'm i uh i'm pro vaccine like as as far as livestock management i think it's a crucial tool um and it's it's definitely something that's kind of overlooked but i mean like we got to take care of of like our bodies as people and we're also in charge of of this livestock this animal uh, and their health and well-being so uh if it's if it's something that we do to keep ourselves from getting sick i mean it's a no-brainer in my mind, but that's a whole political discussion for a different time. But as far as applying it, um, I spray it in the chicken's eyes. Really? I think I've heard that's, about that before. But yeah. so yeah, instead of injecting, you just spray it in their eyes because it's more direct? Or? Yeah, so uh, so every every chicken that I raise, every pullet that comes through these barns gets um, automatically, for sure, 100% guaranteed five vaccinations, and they're done intraocular vaccinations is what it's called. So basically what I do is I, I take the vial of dehydrated um, live virus and I, I mix water into it. I, I reactivate it. I get it all dissolved and then I pour that vial of solution into a basically like a, a backpack sprayer, like what you'd see uh, a gardener using for weed control. Um, very similar mm -hmm. to that. Um, and then uh, all of our birds are raised in cage. So it's a, it's a bit easier, but I walk up and down the aisles between the cages and I, I used the wand and I, I sprayed in the chicken's eyes. Um, 
And so it, most of it goes through the eyes, some of it goes through the sinuses, uh, and it's just it's a, a more direct uh, access to the blood flow, right? So, I mean, you can give these same vaccines through their drinking water. Um, that's quite a bit riskier because you have to uh, turn the water off for a little while to get the birds nice and thirsty. Um, not every bird has access to the water right away because they do establish dominance in the barn. Uh, so there's, there's pros and cons to both methods, um, but it's just kind of, we feel on this farm that it's a, a much better result if we spray it into their face. Um, and then there's also uh, a couple of other spray vaccines that our customers can choose for me to do or not do. They, everybody has their own, you know, program they want to follow. Um, and then we also do some that we inject every single bird in the barn. And that is a huge undertaking. Um, but we do about half of the birds we raise every year. We, we give them an injection as well. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it works really well to do the spray. I can, I can vaccinate an entire barn in like an hour. It's very efficient. Uh, it's also very cool because nobody realizes you can apply vaccine through your eye. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, that's such a good idea. Now, now I'm imagining you're kind of spraying from distance. You're not like getting right up on the bird and like, kind of like spraying it directly in the eye. Cause I'm sure no, yeah, so, time consuming. Yeah. So like out of the wand, it's uh, like, it, it kind of just like makes this big mist that comes out of the end mm. of the wand. It probably covers you know, a couple of feet. And so I, I just kind of spray down the cage as I go, but because I'm moving, the chickens are, uh, they're interested. So they come towards the front of the cage to take a look at what's moving. And then they kind of get sprayed as I walk by with this cloud of, of mist. Um, and then some of it, some of it lands on their drinking water, some of it lands on the cage and it kind of gets absorbed into their system uh, that way. But the primary way that we try to do it is through, through the initial spray. Gotcha. That's fun. And when it comes to injecting, how do you keep track of all that? Because I mean, like, how do you keep track of which birds you have and which birds you haven't? Because that's a lot. I mean, yeah, uh, I'm not sure I can give you all my trade secrets. I don't want to take my business. But <laughs> yeah. uh, what we what we do actually is uh, so when we we also ship all the birds that we raise, and so we have uh, shipping containers for the chickens. Mm -hmm. And so what we'll do is we'll we'll empty out uh, a couple of cages. We'll vaccinate those birds and we'll put those birds aside in one of our shipping containers. And then as we go through the barn, we'll just take the injected birds and we'll put them into an empty cage. Uh, and that way we can keep track as we go through the barn. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, I've always wondered that because I mean, with cows, it kind of makes sense because you can have ear tags and stuff like that unless you're on a larger ranch and stuff like that. But with chickens, when you're dealing with hundreds and possibly even thousands, like I'm sure that gets a little bit hectic. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a big job and something that we have to monitor very, very closely for sure. Because um, we don't want to give anybody a double dose. We don't want to miss anything. Um, because I, I'm sure you've seen on my Instagram too. I, I'm no, I'm not hiding the fact like I we hire a vet to come in every single flock, and that vet takes somewhere between 15 and 30 uh, blood samples from each flock, depending on how many. Like in 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 one of my barns, I could have everywhere from one flock to five, six, seven flocks in that barn. Uh, and so the vet comes and takes a, a blood sample from every single flock, and they, they run it through their lab process to get what's called a titer result. And that titer result is uh, an, an indication of the amount of antibodies that the, the vaccine mm -hmm. has made in that chicken for the various vaccines. So we we do all this stuff um it gets added to the raise fee uh for our customer and this way with that blood work we can prove that we did the job and that we also did the job correctly so we don't want to double dose anybody we don't want to miss anybody uh, we want to try to get a nice even uh vaccination across the board i got you now 
is, I don't know what you guys call it, but is the Canadian Agriculture Department, like are they checking all that stuff too to make sure that the birds are healthy and you guys are following all the right guidelines? Uh, so we've got, yes, we've got various uh, governing bodies in place for different aspects of the farm. Um, the blood titers, it's not a mandatory thing. This is something that we've chosen to do um, just to, to prove that I'm doing what I'm saying that I'm doing in the barn. But um, every single chicken farm in Canada, including ours, gets audited at least once a year. And so they come in and they check all of our paperwork. They check to make sure that the permits are the right number, everything like that. And so the customer and us, we will keep a copy of that blood titer. And we keep it with all the flock records. That way, if anything ever did go wrong down the road, um, or if the vaccine was a, was a bad batch, because it is it is a man-made product, so it is it is possible that the vaccine could be faulty. So we just want to make sure that everybody has a record, um, so that basically we can all protect our ourselves and also the consumer at the very end of the line too. Mm, that makes sense. Now, before I forget about it, I had no clue about this, but I know a, um, a lot of vaccines are developed with eggs. And I heard here in the U.S. somewhere we store like a million eggs for future vaccine research. Do you guys do anything like that in Canada? I think we must. I actually haven't heard about it too much myself, but I do know there is an account that I follow and he's a chicken farmer in the States and that's all of his eggs go towards uh, really? vaccine development, actually. Yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can find it here for you while we're talking about this. Yeah, I was watching some YouTube video and it was it was something like why the US keeps 2 million or 20 million eggs on ready but for for every like every year or something. I was like, "Huh, fun fact. All the eggs." Yeah, it I I think it's absolutely fascinating. I hope that he tells us more, but yeah, so uh, Lance Sensening, Sensing on Instagram, he's got uh, yeah, oh, this I chicken can. farm and that's that's all they do is they uh, all of his eggs get collected and sent off for vaccine development. So I think that's pretty cool. That's crazy. Might have to have him on and talk to him about it. That's crazy. Look at that. Small yeah, world. You, you might have found our next guest. That's awesome. We get the Canadian <laughs> oh, poultry oh, and then the American poultry. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, Pete, well, this has been awesome, man. I really appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon and uh, good luck up there. Keep the mustache and the great shades and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks very much. I appreciate being on here. Thanks again for listening to my interview with Peter. Learned a lot from him, and I hope you did too. If you enjoyed the episode, or maybe you're even new here, don't forget to check out our other episodes on the Farm Traveler podcast, where we have over 120 awesome podcast interviews with farmers, ranchers, entrepreneurs, and others in the agriculture and food science industries. So if you want to learn about dairy farming, if you want to learn about beef cattle, GMOs, chicken farming, cheese, milk, whatever it might be, there is an episode for you. We've interviewed people all over the world, like Saudi Arabia, the UK, Australia, Canada, and of course, down here in Florida, Texas, California, and countless other places. So be sure to check out our episodes, and if you enjoy them, consider sharing with a friend or family member. You know, that way more and more people can learn where their food comes from. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.